Again, well, we're glad to welcome you to Life Preschool Sunday. For those of you who have been part of this for the last uh, you know, two or one or two years, uh, obviously it's a different setting. Our goal this year has been to kind of give you a snapshot of what Beulah Missionary Church is like on an average Sunday. Uh, obviously, we have a lot of guests with us today, and we're glad that you're here. Uh, but we just kind of want to give you a peek. I've had an opportunity to meet uh, a lot, quite a few of you, preschool families. And uh, one of the common threads I've heard is, you know what, we're looking for a church. Uh, it's time for us to get back. We've, we've been out for a while, or, or, or we know this is something we need. And so my hope today is that you've kind of gotten a, continue to, but already gotten a feel for who we are. And who Beulah is, the most important thing is who we are as a people. And we're glad you're here. I trust that you feel, have felt welcome and accepted. Uh, we'd like to uh, take a little bit of time. I'd like to take a little bit of time to do uh, some teaching. We've been doing this series called Grow Up, and, and the idea is... Uh, that when it comes to living a Christian life, uh, there's certain ways that things tend to develop or tend to unfold. And, and so regardless of where you're at in that process, whether you would say, yeah, I'm a believer and, and I've been a Christian for years, or, or I don't know, truth be told, pastor, I'm just here because um, my, my child's saying, and I don't, I don't know about being spiritual or being a Christian or any of that, but, uh, but regardless of where you're at, there's a sense in which there's a process uh, like I said earlier, my name is, my name is Earl, and uh, for those of you who uh, don't know me, I've always kind of been larger than the average guy my age. Um, that's just kind of a reality. I think I got it genetically, and, and, uh, and I enjoy a good trip to the buffet, or three. So, uh, so, so growing up, believe it or not, I know this is hard for some of you to imagine, especially if you're larger, uh, taller, or larger than the average person. Um, you probably can't relate to this at all, but, but growing up, especially in high school, people used to ask me all the time, hey dude, you play football? I mean, yeah, some of you get it, and if you're taller than usual, the question is, hey dude, you play basketball? I mean, it's, it's just reality, and, uh, and interestingly enough, I would, my answer was, was the same. I kind of developed this, this pat answer because it was fun just to see people like, get confused when I'd answer, and so I'd say, I'd say no, man. But every weekend, I'm on the football field. And people look at me like, what? Do you, do, do you get it, or are you confused too? Yeah, some, some people get it, because you two were band geeks. And so I was a band geek. Um, proud to say it. I was better at music than I was at, you know, running and thinking at the same time. Um, so so I, I, I was in music all through school. And a marching band wasn't my favorite, but... I did it. For four years, I did marching band. Uh, one of the highlights of marching band, at least the school I went to and, and when I started, it changed as I moved through, but one of the highlights of marching band season was this thing we called band camp. Now, let me just be clear. For those of you who have seen the movies, band camp is nothing like it's portrayed in movies like American Pie and, and other movies. Um, band camp was hard. It was grueling. We weren't all that dorky. Um, some of us were, uh, but not all of us. Uh, but when the sun went down, the fun started at band camp. <laughs> some of you can relate to that, huh? I don't, I don't know how this, um, how this happened. I didn't really like uh, marching band. But my senior year, uh, I marched with the tuba. And uh, during my senior year, the tuba section moved like 10 yards during the whole show. Okay, now if you've ever seen a marching band or been in marching band, you know that's just absolutely ridiculous. There's three songs in the show, and typically you're going to move maybe a total of 100 yards depending on what the show looks like. But for some reason, my senior year, 
the show writers put the tubas, maybe knowing that I was there and needed help, put the tubas just moving like within a 10-yard range. And so we'd, we'd move a yard in eight counts and we'd mark time for four and then we'd move back another yard in four counts and we'd turn around for four counts. And on and on it went throughout the whole show. We moved like, like I said, like, like 10 yards is probably more than that, but I'm getting old now and so my memory fails me. But the whole show was like this whole two steps forward and one steps back. Have you ever been there two steps forward and one step back? Is that the story of your life at times? It's a story of mine. Like I said, we've been going through this series uh, we've called Grow Up. And before we take any steps forward, what I'd like to do is take a step back and kind of catch you up to speed for those of you who are guests today. So in your bulletin, you have notes like this. If you want to turn them over to the back, the one with the circle on it, we're just going to go through this real quick to kind of bring you up to speed. And then we're going to move forward with today. The key question that we've been asking, am I growing up? Am I moving forward in this in this life of faith, in this, this spirituality or this Christianity. And, and when we started this series, uh, we, we laid down a foundation. We talked about a definition of a disciple, a person who follows Jesus, a Christian. And we said that a disciple is a person who has made Jesus their head, meaning that they're, they're following Jesus first and foremost. What, what God wants, their growing awareness of what God wants out of their life is the most important thing to them. A disciple is a person who's made Jesus their head and who's made Jesus their heart. They're allowing him to change their heart. And, uh, and this is about uh, becoming the kind of person God's calling us to be, becoming uh, morally acceptable people, becoming uh, people who are growing and, and living the right way. And our, 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 our entertainment choices are changing. The, the words we use are changing. The, the way we spend our time is all changing and growing. A disciple is a person who's made Jesus their head, who's made Jesus their heart, and who's using their hands to do the things that matter most to Jesus. And we said the thing that matters most to Jesus is that those who are followers of him, who are Christians, introduce others to him and help others to grow in a relationship with him. In other words, making disciples. So a disciple is a person who's made Jesus their head, who's allowing Jesus to change their heart, and who's using their hands to do what matters most to Jesus. So we've kind of been talking through some phases here, what it looks like to to develop, to grow as a Christian. And and the, the first one, the, the first part of this new life is characterized by ignorance. When you're, when you're not a follower of Christ or when you're new to faith, there's a lot that you don't know. And there's no shame in that. How can you know unless, unless you learn? But this is a key mark of being new in the faith. And so in order to help people continue to grow through this stage, uh, we need to share things with them. We have a number of things listed here that we talked about sharing. Um, you can kind of see that for every Christian, The goal is to help others know Christ and grow in Christ. The goal of being a Christian isn't uh, just to go to church every Sunday or or, or to have a a network of people who you can do business with and, and have relationships with. The goal for every follower of Christ is to introduce others to who Jesus is and to help them grow in him. The second stage that, that we've talked about, uh, we've called being a child. And it's characterized by, by selfishness, by self-focus. Everything is about me and what I want and what I desire. And of course, as, as preschool parents, I'm sure none of you can relate to that on a real level. Is it just me whose favorite, you know, kids' favorite words were no and mine and me? No, it's, it's okay. I thought maybe we were weird. 
And so this is the, this is the child stage we've talked about. It. Today, we're going to move on to the stage we call young adult. This stage is characterized by being God-centered, being, being other-centered, and by service. So, so at this stage of development, as you continue to, to grow as a Christian, suddenly it's not about me anymore, but it's about others. It's about how God wants me to serve others and connect with others and to help them grow. You'll hear people at this stage say things like, yeah, I, I, I love my small group, but you know what? I know there's others who could use a small group like this. How can I help them connect? Or, uh, or um, someone's sitting in my seat today. I hope they hear from God the way that I do when I normally sit there. <laughs> What's the laughter about? I don't understand. Uh, you know, a person at the young adult stage may something like, say something like, in, in my time reading God's word today, I, I came across something I didn't understand. Um, can you help me understand that? Or, or I noticed that, that we don't have anything at our church for, uh, for college-age people. Is there something I can do to help with that? People at the young adult stage of faith have a sense that my faith is not about me, but it's about what God wants me to do to help others. And so I want to serve, I want to minister, I want to help in any way I can. And so we do that by helping them to minister, by giving them a place to minister, by training them to minister. So we're going to focus on three things. We're going to focus on equipping for ministry, on providing ministry opportunities, and for releasing to do ministry. Now, if you're listening to someone who's a little bit further down the road, your part becomes the first blank in each of those little triangles there. Your part becomes to equip someone younger in the faith, to provide someone younger in the faith opportunities to serve and to minister, and then to release them to do the ministry. But if you, would, if you would say today, you know what, I feel like I'm, I'm kind of at this stage. I am a young adult. I love to serve. That's so important to me. And, and when I serve, man, I just feel like I'm at the, like at the apex of, of who I am of, in my Christian life. Then, then I would say to you the, the most important blank in these three triangles is the second one, ministry. The key to continuing to grow as a follower of Christ is to serve others, to do something great at your own expense for other people around you. This is part of what it means to grow up in faith. For those of you who are filling the blanks, folks, you should have the backside done now. We're just going to flip back over to the front. And what I'd like to do with our remaining time is I want to look at a, a passage of Scripture, a story from the ministry of Jesus that I think kind of illustrates for us what it's like to be at this, this stage of development, what it's like to be a young adult and have questions and, and comments and how to continue to grow through that. So I'd like to read from Matthew chapter 17. Uh, if you want to find it in the Pew Bible or in the Bible you brought with you, we're also going to put it on the screen. But, but while you're taking time to find that in your own Bible, let me kind of bring you up to speed with where we're at in the story. Uh, at this point, Jesus is starting about the... Not sure if we've got weather disruptions. I'm going to switch mics. I'm going to go to Jim's mic and see if... At this point, Jesus is starting about the, th the third year of his three-year ministry. And so he's been with his disciples for two years. And what we've seen him do in the, the chapters leading up to where we're at today is, is the things you typically do with those who are 
emerging in their faith. Uh, he has, we saw a couple weeks ago, he started out by saying, come, follow me. And then over the, the couple years that follow between that first call to be a disciple of him and, and where we're at in Matthew 17, he's begun to release his disciples. He's been equipping them for ministry. You, you may remember a story or heard of the story where he feeds 5,000. People get hungry while he's preaching. And so he says to his disciples, find some food and, and feed them. And that happens actually a couple times. One time we're told it's 5,000 people he feeds, and at one time it's 4,000. Uh, he has them doing other ministry, and they're learning as they go. He's equipping them. He's, he's raising them up and training them. And, and then just shortly before these verses we're going to read, he actually sends them out in teams of two to go and do missions work, to do ministry. And so, so we get the sense that they're young adults. They're ready to serve. They've already been serving. And yet we're going to see that they don't have it all together. They've, they've still got some issues that they're, they're wrestling with, and we see them played out here. And these are significant issues for all of us who would follow Christ. I'm going to start reading at Matthew chapter 17, verse 1. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. And so Peter, one of the three that are on the mountain with Jesus, said, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now, We've already, I've already established the fact that I was a band geek in high school. And I told you just a little bit about band camp. When the sun went down, that's when the fun started. Uh, there was something about band camp that uh, when the work was all done and the adults were all off the scene, uh, things, got, eh, things got a little more enjoyable. It, Band camp could be so fun in the evening that it wasn't unusual for people to join the marching band so they could go to band camp. They'd heard the stories, and then as soon as we got from band camp, <laughs> they dropped the class. I mean, this, this is just how it was. Band camp became this, this, this mountaintop experience, this, this fun time. You know, this, this mountaintop idea, this, this getting away and experiencing something we normally wouldn't happens in adult life, too. Earlier this spring, my, my wife and I went uh, south for a vacation. And in the months leading up to this vacation, after I told her we were going to do this and, and that we started to make plans for it, all we could talk about when the kid well, it didn't matter if the kids were around or not, was this trip that we were going to be taking. We looked forward to it. We talked about it. The kids were like, yeah, Mom, Dad, we get it. You're going to Florida, big whoop. I mean, this was all we could look forward to, a chance for the two of us to get away. And while we were there, we had a blast. And then, and then I remember it was almost like a light switch. We're on the way home, and we're like, oh, it's over now. Back to regular life. Yay. Am I, have you ever had that experience where it's like you have this great time, you look forward to it, you have it, and then soon after, it's over. These, these mountaintop experiences dot our lives. Sometimes we create them. Sometimes they find us. And this doesn't just happen in, you know, in, in regular life. It happens in, in our spiritual life, too, or in our relationship with Christ. For about 20 years or so, I worked with teenagers in various churches. And, and in youth group, there's always these mountaintops experiences. 
Matter of fact, here at Beulah, we have some names for them. We call them Discover Conference. We call them Teen Camp. We call them Short-Term Mission Strips. There's these times when we intentionally take teenagers away and we get them out of their regular environment with the hope that they'll connect with God in a way that they won't at home and on Wednesday and on Sunday and in the regular rhythm of life. And in all the times I've done these, it never fails. Somebody, usually a teenager, but sometimes an adult uh, chaperone says, do we really have to go home tomorrow? I mean, sometimes we're just having so much fun. It's like we never had this much fun at home. Do we really have to go back to that? But a lot of times it's about the fact that teenagers begin to realize God's doing something in their life like he hadn't done before. They don't want to go back to, to the way that it usually is. They, they don't want it to stop. You know, here's the reality. Mountaintop experiences like, like this are are great. They can be fun. They can be challenging. When it's God working in us, we can have a sense like, wow, he's starting things in me. He's catalyzing things in me that, that I never thought he would. I never thought I would experience this, or I never thought I could do that. We have a sense that that's what's happening here with these three disciples are on a mountaintop, literally, like their, their minds are blown by what they've seen. And Peter's like, let's just stay here. But it doesn't work like that. Mountaintops, although significant, are not the peak of the Christian experiences. As a matter of fact, what we're going to find here is is Jesus says, no, we're not staying here because there's ministry to be done. and, And ministry happens in the valleys, not on the mountaintops. Ministry to others happens most in the valleys. You know, it's so easy to, to, to yearn, to long for mountaintops. It's so easy to, to want to have those great experiences, those emotional highs. It's, it's so tempting to want to look back over our shoulder at the golden days and, and think, man, things were so much better than if we could just go back there. But there's a reality in the Christian life that when we stay on the mountaintop, we miss opportunities to serve others, to connect with others. The mountaintop experiences are designed to propel us into the ministry that happens in the valleys when things are tough, when things are long and hard. And it seems like everything we can do just to keep going. Let's go back to the text, verse 5. While Peter was still speaking, saying, can I put up a tent? So do we really have to go home? A bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I loved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Do you know how many times in Jesus' ministry there was an audible voice that spoke so that not only Jesus but those around him could hear it? Does anybody know? Three times. On three times we have it in in, in these first four books of the New Testament where God spoke from heaven and said something for Jesus and those around him to hear it happens the first time it is baptism. Uh, the, all three of the gospel writers record that a dove came down from heaven and the voice of God spoke and said, this is my son who I love. And then it happens again here at this event we call the transfiguration. And again, there was a, vo- a bright light and a voice from heaven. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. I think it's interesting that the first two times that God speaks... He talks about who Jesus is. He doesn't say anything about what Jesus has been doing. He talks about his identity. 
God mentions you're my son, and I'm thrilled with that. Isn't it interesting that that two-thirds of the time when, when Jesus speaks to Jesus, it's identity that he's most concerned about? And I wonder if it's the same with us. If we'll slow down and listen, does God long to say to us, to help us to hear two-thirds of the time, you're my son and that excites me to no end. You're my daughter and I'm thrilled with that. There's a third time that that God speaks. It's in John chapter 12. This is shortly before uh, the crucifixion. Let me just read these verses to you. Jesus is in the Garden, of Eden, or the, the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's praying. This is what he said. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven and said, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. It's not until the third time that God speaks audibly to Jesus that he starts to talk about what Jesus has been doing. And this is near the end. When he says, you know what, I've been glorified by everything that you've done, and I'm going to be glorified through what you're going to do. And I wonder for us, is that what we hear from our heavenly? Are we listening enough to hear that from our heavenly Father? Are we listening enough to hear him say more often than not, You're my daughter, you're my son, and I love you just because of that. Are we listening to God's voice first and foremost, to the one who would say to you, you know what, I'm pleased with your actions, or or I'm not pleased, and, and we need some changes here. But are we allowing the voice of God to be the one that directs us, that, that speaks to us who we are? Friends, the reality is that serving others, giving your life for the benefit of others, is tough stuff. It's not easy to sacrifice and to serve. As a matter of fact, in the Bible, uh, the Bible often talks about people as sheep, and it talks about those who serve them, who are ministered to them as shepherds. And one thing any pastor who's been a pastor for any amount of time will will tell you is that, that sheep are cute, and they're cuddly, but they stink, and they bite. And any parent will tell you that too. The reality is that serving others is difficult to do. But if you'll listen for the voice of your father, you'll hear him say, I love you because you're my son. I love you because you're my daughter. And then from that, you can allow the voice of God to direct you. Let God's voice be the voice that tells you who you are and what you're supposed to be doing. I'm going to go back to the text, verse 6. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified, But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Do not be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. And if if at this point I'm one of the disciples, I'm going, what? I mean, that was cool. Like Moses and Elijah, we we might say, um, you know, in a modern comparison, like... um, uh, like, like, like George Washington, Abraham Lincoln. I mean, we just saw these, these, these guys who we've heard stories about. But you're telling us you're going to raise from the dead? You're telling us you're going to die and come back to life? And if I, I mean, if, I, I think if I were one of the disciples, I'd have just been like, stop the train, buddy. What's going on here? I don't understand. That sounds so much cooler than what we just experienced. But notice what the disciples did. Verse 10. 
the disciples asked him, why then do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, to be sure Elijah comes and will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has come already. And they did not recognize him, but have done to him everything they wished. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. But what amazes me is that in the middle of this incredible experience, the disciples asked a question. Instead of just taking it in, instead of just pretending like everything's... I mean, they'd just been to the mountain. They could pretend like they had it made. But they didn't. They're like, we don't get it. We don't understand. Friends, sometimes we need to remember that you don't know everything. And it's okay to admit it and to ask for help. When I was early in my um, ministry years, I got an uh, annual evaluation. Anybody do these at work? Or like, yeah. Don't we all look forward to those so much? I do. So I got this, I remember this one specific report I had on an annual evaluation. It said, Earl seems to think that he's the smartest guy in any room he goes into. And when I read that, I was like, yeah, man, that's a pretty nice compliment. And it's true to boot. I, uh, I soon realized as I talked with my supervisor through the evaluation that it wasn't a compliment. Uh, that I had this, this attitude that I was a know-it-all, that, that, that I was the smartest person in every room. And to be honest, I, I guess I didn't, I didn't realize that I needed someone else to point it out to me. And, and I don't understand how I got there. I mean, as I looked around the leadership table that I sat at, uh, there was a, a retired CEO of, of a Fortune 500 company. There was a, a Purdue University educator. There was a, an executive for a local uh, you know, office supply business. And, and, and yet I walked to that table with people who'd been alive or been in church leadership longer than I'd been alive. And I thought, man, I am so smart. I'm smarter than these guys. You know, the reality is we don't have all the answers. It's okay to admit when you don't know something. It's okay to ask for help when you're stuck and you don't know where to go. It's okay to admit that you're over, the, over your head and, and throw up your hand and ask for help. This is how we grow up. The disciples got that. They asked the question and Jesus answered it. Verse 14. When they came to the crowd, uh, there's a crowd now, of course, at the bottom of the mountain because Jesus has disappeared, and there's clearly something cool happening up there. So when they came down uh, to the bottom of the mountain and, and found the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. You unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus said, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of the boy and he was healed at that moment. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, why couldn't we drive it out? Jesus replied, because you have so little faith. Truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here, Move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. But this kind of demon can only come out by prayer and fasting. There's one more reality that I'd like to draw our attention to here as we talk about what it means to to serve others and and to grow to the place in our Christian life where that's our main goal. And, And that's this simple truth. Failure is not an option. It's a requirement. 
Failure isn't an option, it's a requirement. The reality is, when it comes to doing anything great for the sake of other people, we're going to fail more than we succeed. And we're probably not going to succeed until we've failed more times than we think we can stand. It's, a, it's perhaps history's greatest secret. It's, it's a story that, that every person who's done something great for the sake of others has discovered. Henry Ford had five failed businesses before he started Ford Motor Company. How many of you drove here in Fords today? <laughs> okay. I get it. R.H. Macy had seven failed businesses before he started the, the, the shopping chain that, that is still with us to this day. I just read a, a story on Facebook, or not a story, but a, a did you know report about GPS. How many of you have cell phones with GPS on them and use them regularly? This, this, this uh, science blog I read said that GPS, get this, we only have it because of Albert Einstein. I mean, E equals MC squared. I'm thinking, how can this be from Albert Einstein? Did you know that, that Albert Einstein, his parents and his teachers, thought he was mentally handicapped, that he was slow and antisocial? He didn't even speak till he was four. four and all the parents went, amen to that. He didn't speak till he was four, and he didn't read till he was seven. And so everybody thought, this, this poor little Albert, he's just a... He's, he's just a, a, a mentally slow kid. He eventually was expelled from school. We know now it's because he was bored with school, but they thought he was too dumb to keep up, so they kicked him out. And then in, the, in, a, in a turn of history that, that somebody somewhere regrets, the Zurich Polytechnic School refused him admittance. And now we all carry around in our pocket uh, just a, a simple little thing that one of his theories developed in GPS. You're going to fail before you succeed. As a matter of fact, Harrison Ford, in his first movie, the movie execs told him that he didn't have what it takes to make it as an actor. The best basketball player of all times has said, I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I have lost almost 300 games. On 26 occasions, I've been entrusted with taking the game-winning shot, and I missed I failed over and over and over again in my life, and that is why I succeed. And that, of course, the greatest basketball player of all time was? Hey, that's true. I expected some Kobe Bryant fans here. It was Michael Jordan. One more, if you don't mind. For decades, Babe Ruth hold, held two baseball records. Do you know what they were? He doesn't hold them anymore, but for a while he did. The first one was career home runs at 714. Do you know what the second record that he held? Yeah, career strikeouts. 1,330 career strikeouts. Almost twice as many strikeouts as home runs in his career. And, and one time an, interview asked her, an interviewer asked him about this, and he said, every strike brings me closer to the next home run. Friends, the reality is when we give our life for the good of others, when we make it our goal to serve others and to help others, we're going to fail more than we succeed, and that's okay. What we need to do is to listen for our Heavenly Father's voice saying, you are my son and I love you. You're my daughter, and that thrills me to have the strength to keep moving. So each week as we've been walking through this series, we've been asking the question, am I growing up? Am I where I need to be in, in, in my spiritual life, in my walk with Christ as a, as a Christian? And so we've been asking some questions 
Uh, and, and what I'd like to do is wrap up with these today. If this is my stage, if I have a sense that I'm a, I'm a young adult, I've moved beyond childhood, and, and I'm now kind of a, a young adult in the faith, here's two things that would be helpful for me to do. First of all, get plugged into offering ministry to Christians and not yet Christians. The goal of the Christian life is to help others, to help others take steps towards Christ. And so if this is where you're at, if you feel like, I'm not new to the faith, I've been a Christian for a long time, then one thing you need to be doing is to helping, is to help serve others, to offer ministry to others. And then debrief with a spiritual parent or a, or a mentor. As you serve, as you, as you begin to serve others and, and help them, find someone older than you further down the road who can help you understand what it means to serve others. It can help you in the times when you fail and you have questions and you just don't get it. If you've developed beyond this stage, if you're a a spiritual parent, which we'll talk about next week, then one thing I want to continue to encourage you to do is to find someone who's not as far in the process as you and help them come along. Find a spiritual young adult to disciple, to mentor, to, to answer their questions, to help them when they get stuck. Remember, the end game for every Christian is to help other people know Jesus and grow in Jesus. If you're beyond this stage of young adult, then it's time to be doing that. And then make sure you're intentional about investing in in at least one not yet Christian. Have someone in your life who you would say they're not a believer. They don't profess faith, and and they're they're not ashamed or bashful about that, and just be in relationship with them. Help them to to see through your actions who Jesus is and to continue to to have a sense that that he's not what TV, Christians aren't what TV makes us out to be, that that we're not what the headlines say about who we are. If that's where you're at, I encourage you to find someone and be in relationship with them. Much like being a tuba player my senior year of high school, a lot of times a spiritual walk, a, a sense of growing and understanding of faith and Christianity is two steps forward and one step back. And that's okay. That's the way things go. But my hope for you and my prayer for you as we close today is that you'll figure out where you're at and what steps you need to take, and that you'll begin to take those. And if you're, if, if you're here and you're saying, you know what, I'm, I'm not a Christian, and, and, and you know, I'm, I'm glad I could come today and see my child sing, my hope for you would be that, that you wouldn't continue in that mindset, that you would say, you know what, there is something missing in my life, and, and I want to figure out what that is, and I, w- I want to become a follower of Christ. I want to explore Christianity more. If you're new to your faith or, or you're coming back after years of being away, I want to encourage you to, to take some steps to grow, and, and I'd be happy to talk with you more about what that means afterwards. Um, I'll, I'll be down here, and, and I'd love to talk to you more so we can take together our next steps. Will you bow and pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning for the opportunity we've had to, uh, to, to open your word and, and, and to listen what your, to what your spirit would say. I want to thank you for the, the children that, that sang, for, for all of the Life Preschool families and, and their desire to continue to give their children the best. Father, I pray for, for the parents and, and grandparents and aunts and uncles here that you'd give them wisdom as they raise their children. And Lord, I pray that, that they wouldn't, uh, be so caught up in, in, in doing the best that they can for their child that they miss the most important thing in their own life in a growing relationship with you. Father, I pray that in these moments you continue to speak to our hearts. 
continue to call us towards you and direct us in our next steps. Father, we thank you. Thank you again for this morning and this time we've had. I pray that you'd bless our guests and they would go this week and have a sense that there's something different in their lives, that something different is happening. In your name I pray, amen.